Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another weekend. The Eagles are moving on as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 425. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out, where I chat with my friend Chris McPherson to discuss the three most important topics surrounding the Eagles in CMAX mind going into this matchup against the Indianapolis Colts. What are those three things? He's going to fill us in right at the top of the show. And it was funny, right when we finished recording, the Eagles announced that they have agreed to terms with veteran nose tackle Linval Joseph, one-year contract track reportedly uh, for Mount Linval. Uh, so Ben and I, in Chalk Talk, we're going to talk through the impact Linval Joseph can have, what that means for the Eagles' defense, uh, and also start to turn forward here to this game against the Colts. We've gone through the tape on both teams. Our show, Eagles Game Plan, just about put to bed. So what are the big takeaways? What do we expect to see on Sunday? Ben and I will hit on that there in that segment. Then to close out the show, in faux focus, I catch up with somebody who's just one of my co- go-to sources for all things Colts, and that's Zach Hicks, the co-host of the Locked On Colts. Colts podcast. It's been an interesting couple of weeks out there in Indy for Zach, so we'll pick his brain to close out the show. Before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure uh, we knock out. Number one, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, leave it there. We'll answer it here on an upcoming episode. But before we get to CMAC, I want to real quickly share a piece of a segment that we're going to be running this week on Eagles Game Plan and a full breakdown, a full tape study with Eagles offensive lineman Isaac Sayamala, one of the smart players uh, on this Eagles team. Uh, we get into some of the nitty-gritties of the X's and O's. So we'll talk about his background, uh, his relationship with some of his offensive linemen, with Jeff Stoutland. It's a really fun conversation. Uh, here's a big chunk of that. It's a segment we call Tape Study on Eagles Game Plan. Well, please be joined here by Eagles offensive lineman Isaac Sayamala to go through some film here from earlier in the season. Isaac, thanks so much for joining us, man. Excited to jump into this tape. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate y'all having me. You're a guy that's played up and down the line of scrimmage going back to, to college. I mean, did that start in high school, too? Did you play all over the place in high school, too? Nah, I was I was mainly tackle in high school. But uh, college, yeah, it was all over. And obviously with the Eagles, I've been all over. But, uh, you know, I think being able to kind of know what what's going on all the time at every position, you know, helps me to help others and, um, you know, also play as fast as I can. What's the hardest adjustment? Is it from tackle to guard or is it from left to right? <laughs> I think... Each position has its own unique demands, physically and mentally. We always talk about offensive line that the closer in you are to the center, mm-hmm. the faster things happen. Versus at tackle, you have a lot of time, but obviously you deal with very you know tremendous athletes. At center, you don't really have a ton of time and space, but you know there's a lot of times where you're working with somebody else. So the word on the street is that uh, those goes to Jason Kelsey and Jeff Stoutland have like just legendary like football X and O talks like late at night in, in the uh, in the meeting room, and you are the only one that is like on their level. Is that <laughs> that's that's the word on the street? I can't I can't speak for it from experience, but where does that come from in terms of your like football intelligence and your love for the game? You know, obviously, you know, I think being gifted that way uh, is is just like a genetic thing. Yep. Uh, I've you know football. IQ has only has always been something that's come pretty naturally to me um, and being able to understand a whole lot real quickly and then apply it very quickly. So I enjoy being around Kelsey and Stoutland in that aspect of being able to uh, 
have the mental capability and then also the physical capacity to kind of execute, you know, what we're talking about quickly and, you know, efficiently. And you have come from a football family, right? Your dad, yeah. dad's a coach, brother's a coach, sisters in scouting, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, what, what is it like when you get together for holidays and things like that? <laughs> Honestly, when we're together, we try to, you know, keep the, the football at bay at most and, you know, talk more about, you know, what's going on in our lives. Sure. And, you know, how can we help our mom out and, you know, make sure we're doing chores around the house and stuff like that. So that's that stuff's more important to me sure. when I'm around my family. But obviously when it's, you know, football time, I, I try to, be as professional as I can. Now, did your dad coach you at any point? When I was super young, <laughs> we, he actually uh, coached our basketball team. Okay. But this is way back in the day. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was fun. But uh, in terms of football, he's always been um, a critical, you know, factor for me, you know, to be where I am. And not only that, but really, you know, the person I am. But Definitely on the football field, he's always helped me out. Your brother was a, a GA at Oregon State, right? Yeah. Well, when you when you graduated, what was it like having him kind of on the coaching staff uh, while you were still playing? Well, my first year, he was a we got to play together, yep. so he was a senior, and then we actually lived together when he was a GA, and then now he's close by. You know, he's like an hour and a half up at uh, Lafayette, yep. so I've been very thankful for that. That he he he's been so close. You know what I mean? Um, but it's been great. Is that something you think uh, is in your future after you're done playing? Do you, you want to get into coaching or not too early yet still? Too early for all that, man. <laughs> Obviously, you've been on this line for a long time, but you didn't play a lot next to Lane over the course of your career. What's that been like this season, uh, getting used to playing number 65? I mean, Lane is, everybody knows what Lane's about. I mean, he's, you know, heads and shoulders, the best tackle in the game. And uh, he makes my job a lot easier as well as, you know, being between him and Kels has made what I've had to do a lot easier and I'll gladly, you know, move or play wherever, you know, if I can play next to guys like that. So it's been awesome. You know, it usually works out. We talked a little bit earlier about Coach Stoutland. Uh, what's it like just throughout the course of the week? Take us through the rhythm of a typical game week with Coach Stout. Stout is, you know, hands down, um, arguably the best, you know, O-line coach and the way he approaches every day with enthusiasm, um, detail. And then the biggest thing that I, I love is that it's not a, him telling us what to do. It's we working with him, working with the coaches, that it's a group, you know, effort and process because we got so many. I mean, him, Kels, I mean, our tackles, our, you know, landing, everybody's bringing up, you know, good points and then it gets implemented into the game plan and then we talk about it and then, you know, guys that aren't maybe as older or the younger guys can kind of learn through the players as well. So it's it's awesome. And again, for that whole segment, be sure to catch the entire Eagles game plan show or the, the entire tape study segment that will go out on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, social channels. I'll be tweeting it out uh, as well. You can check my workout over at Eagles XOs. That said, uh, let's get into this matchup here against the Indianapolis Colts. It's time now for three and out. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three, and out. All right, well, time to welcome in my friend Chris McPherson to uh, go through the three things that are at the forefront of his mind. Uh, C-Mac, what is number one for you? I think it's got to be at the forefront of everyone's mind is how will the Eagles respond after their first loss of the season? Sure. The perfect season is no more. Being in the locker room late on Monday night, it could have been early Tuesday morning by the time we were, we were down there, even though a lot of the guys had cleared out quickly following the loss to Washington. I heard the right things from the players. You know, Quez Watkins faced the media and took responsibility for the fumble. 
Brandon Graham made no excuses for the unnecessary roughness penalty that basically ended the game. Um, I don't know if you've been listening to Jason and Travis Kelsey's podcast. Of course. Uh, was listening to on the way in on Wednesday morning as we're before we recorded this. Don't blame the refs. Don't blame the ref. It's a loser's mentality. Yep. I, I have not to promote another podcast, but I absolutely love that line. I thought that was the perfect thing to say is do not, you know, if it's you got to control what you control. Yep. From that standpoint. So, you know, again, it was a division game. The Eagles had the bullseye on their back being the, the last perfect team. Uh, weird schedule with, with the Eagles had the bye, two games in five days with the Steelers-Texans, and then a 10-day layoff. You know, I don't, I don't know, if, you know, no excuses again, but it was sort of a weird scheduling quirk there. Um, so that will iron itself out for the rest of the way here. Yep. Uh, but again, perfect record, no more. The NFC East lead is down to just one game over the Giants, okay? Cowboys, fortunately, lost in overtime, so you have two games on them, uh, but... NFC, you're right there tied with the Vikings. Fortunately, you beat them on Monday Night Football earlier this year. So there's going to be no bye week or extended rest of the rest of the uh, rest of the way here. And so. no more Thursday Monday Night games. So another nice regulated schedule moving Correct. forward for the Eagles. Yes. No more big West Coast trips. No. Yeah. So no. everything is everything's pretty local. Should be pretty standard. Yep. Moving on out here. So. Look into the Colts, okay? They fired Frank Reich, but they got a jolt of adrenaline uh, bringing in Jeff Saturday. They beat the Las Vegas Raiders last Sunday. Uh, new play caller, Parks Frazier, first-timer, who's only 30 years old. Uh, the Colts scored 25 points against the Raiders, second most for them all this season. They went back to Matt Ryan, at quarterback. Obviously, that's going to help a, a new coach, a new coaching uh, play caller in there. Uh, the Colts, they beat the Chiefs earlier this season. They're still in the playoff mix, okay? You know, now I know we've been talking about the revenge tour of sorts for the Eagles, where it seems like every week it's like a former player or some kind of close connection. Well, what better one can you get than Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, and several of the other assistants who go against their former team this Sunday? So a few things there. Um, just because you mentioned him, one of the things that I do now, you know, that, you, know you and I are in our late 30s, early 40s. I don't want yeah. to give away like uh, any, any numbers there. Uh, but one of the things that always like makes me feel old now is hearing where somebody was, what they were doing in their life when uh, the Eagles won the Super Bowl in, in 2017 and 2018. Uh, it used to be like when I started with the Eagles, like, okay, that was like my, my gauge. Um, but now it's like, okay, what was it? So Parks Frazier, uh, the now the interim offensive coordinator, play caller for the Colts. He was a GA at Arkansas State when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017. Like, I know, like, man. Like, all right, like uh, that just gives you idea of how young uh, this guy is. He was born in 19, November of 1991, uh, and yeah. now he's uh, he's calling plays here in the NFL. Um, going back to your initial point too about the reaction in the locker room after the game, I made the point on the post game show. Uh, this is a this is a quote that goes, you know, this is coaching in all, in all areas. I think it might even be a John Wooden quote uh, from college basketball. Okay. Um, Everybody's got a great culture when they're winning. You know, it's easy to feel good when uh, when you're eight and zero and things are good. But it's what happens when you have that first taste of adversity. Now, what happens? And just just seeing how this team responds uh, here this week, uh, all signs early on point to, to it being a good thing. And I think you and I, we've got good faith in what the culture is in this locker room yeah. and in this building. Um, but again, that's that's the first test here for this iteration of the uh, of the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Uh, AJ Brown talked about. It. He's like, if you expect me to have a frown, like, I'm not. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I chatted with Darius Slay for a good five minutes after the game, and he's like, you know, we lost the game. We lost the game. Yep. What do you, you know? This happens. It's, they're a professional team. Give them their flowers. They they were the better team on that day. So um, it's a good wake up call. We'll just see how that 
carries over into practice and everything else uh, as Eagles make their preparations for the Colts. All right, well, let's get to, uh, to number two, item number two here on your list. Yeah, this is a tough one for me here. The impact of losing Dallas Goddard, yeah. who went on injured reserve on Wednesday with that shoulder injury they suffered against the Commanders. I just love what Dallas Goddard, I've been singing his praises since before the season that he was going to be an absolute monster in this offense this season. And you hear head coach Nick Sirianni talk about that Goddard needs to be in the conversation uh, among of being the best tight ends in all of the NFL. I mean, and the numbers, you know, bear it out. He's second among all tight ends in receiving yards, first in yards per catch, first in yards after the catch, and second in in explosive pass plays. I mean, Monday night, we saw his impact. He had the jump ball touchdown where Jalen Hurts faked the QB draw and just you know threw the quick ball over the top to him in the middle, and then he had a 15-yard tight end screen that set up Devontae Smith's fourth-quarter touchdown. Um, that tight end screen has been so, so difficult for defenses to stop this season. So, okay, the Eagles have Jack Stoll. They have Grant Calcaterra. Tyree Jackson was activated from the the pup list so he's on the uh, active roster so the eagles have three tight ends on on the roster once again here um but how do you replace that production we talked about revenge tour person i'm going to look to is zach pascal you know who has a big frame sort of a similar skill set uh the eagles can utilize him in the screens uh i wonder do they lean more on quez watkins you go with a more faster look and quez watkins Obviously, he had the fumble, but he had season highs in receptions and yards. Um, looking at this Colts defense, this is a pretty good group, okay? DVOA, uh, overall, they're 11th, but they're 4th in yards per game allowed, 5th in yards per play allowed. Yep. Uh, very good against a run, just 2nd in yards per carry. This almost, in almost every run defense metric, they are top 3, top 5. Outstanding against a run. I mean, you have DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, who are very, very good up front. No Pass Shaq Leonard. Shaq Leonard out, out for the year. So He's that, out for the year. That impacts yes. it. But, I, I will yeah. say, though, Leonard has dealt with injuries all season. It yeah. seems like that the linebacker the news- play has been solid. Okarike has had a nice year, and uh, we talked about Zaire Franklin uh, the other day with Greg, and he, he's had a nice year as well. Yeah, so they have good chemistry there. You have Stephon Gilmore leading the way there at the secondary position at, at corner. Julian Blackman's played very well at free safety. Our old friend Rodney McLeod yep. is holding things there on the back end. This is a unit that has not allowed more than 27 points in a game all season. In six games, they've allowed 20 or fewer. So this is not going to be an easy task for this offense. Again, coming off the struggles they had with the four turnovers, obviously three until that very last play, but nonetheless, four turnovers after only having three in the first eight games and losing one of the critical pieces of your offense. When the coaches and players would talk about the key passing weapons, it was always A.J. Devontae Dallas. Okay, you're losing one of those big three. Yep. How will the Eagles respond in that in that fashion? I, I do think it it will be end up end up being a group effort. You mentioned Quez, you mentioned Pascal, certainly Jack Stoll. You add in Grant Calcaterra, uh, Tyree Jackson activated off the pup list, and, and now a factor in that tight end room as well. Yep. We'll get a chance to see Tyree for the first time in a year. So I think seeing uh, how this group responds, I think will will be very very big. Um, you know, maybe look, uh, Avante Maddox went on injury reserve uh, late last week, and his former roommate was just a little how uh, coincidental. Yeah, right. It was just it's a so little weird. lonely. You had to so join bizarre. him on the IR. Um, no, losing Dallas is, is a uh, is a big deal for this offense. There's no getting around it. It's about trying to figure out how to replace him, uh, and it's it's going to take a group effort. Uh, no, there's no question. No about question it. about that. So, so number three, we're going from the offense. Let's go to the defense. Yep. And the discussion among Eagles fans has been the state of the run defense, and of course, you got Jonathan Taylor, the reigning league rushing champion, facing this Eagles defense. Um, look, Damian Pierce had a great game 
That Thursday night game against you know Eagles Houston was phenomenal on the ground. Had some explosive runs. One of the two biggest runs the Eagles have allowed all season long. The Commanders, okay, they had 152 ground yards, but I mean they only had 3.1 yards per carry. Okay, the big thing here is everyone's saying that the blueprint is out on the Eagles, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, before the recording. Everyone's saying there's like a blueprint that's out on the Eagles you can run on them. It's like if you're hoping that, okay, let's get to third and short and try to convert 12 out of our first 16, 12 out of our first 16. 12 out of first 14. I think they went 12 14 14 14 to start. 12 14 to start. Okay, 12 out of your first 14. And one of the ones they didn't get, they converted on fourth and one. Yep. So if you're hoping for that each and every week, good luck to you, okay? I don't think that's really a blueprint for success. Sure, you hope to extend drives, but the Eagles, you know, and this is one of the things we also talked about is on the one touchdown drive is the one where they took the lead in the second quarter. It was Brian Robinson had a one-yard touchdown run. It was a 16-play drive, yep. 16-play drive. Well, three third downs, but, like, one of them was a third and a Third and ten, third and, ten, third and five, uh, third and six. And third and six. Yep. No, I mean, that, that's the thing is, like, and on that drive, what was the – so that was a 16-play drive. Yep. The 15th play of that drive – was the long run of the day. It was the 11-yard run, and it's like that was after they converted on fourth and one with that jet sweep yep. uh, to, uh, to to Curtis Samuel. Very next play, Brian Robinson chugs along between the tackles for 11 yards. He's carrying a bunch of the Eagles defenders uh, with him in his wake. I think when you look at uh, the way that the Eagles stopped the run, it was not a bad. It was not good. I'm not saying they're the, oh this was they were no. dominant against the run. It was not ideal. There was a um, there was a segment that they just did on, on ESPN. Uh, we're recording this mid middle of the day Wednesday, so Wednesday morning. Uh, Dan Orlovsky posted the the segment in, in its entirety and just talking about how the uh, the effectiveness and the efficiency of run games around the NFL are peaking right now. It's like the right now NFL teams are averaging 4.5 yards a carry. That's the highest it's been in the history of the league wow. at this point in the season. Uh, and even just looking at the numbers just from this week, the Eagles gave up 156 yards rushing. That was 16th in the NFL this 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 week. It was 16th. 16th. That's not that's not great. But I'm not, you don't pound your chest about that. But you said I think you got to contextualize what that what that was. The, the Eagles gave up 3.2 yards a carry, 3.3 yards a carry uh, over 3.1. the 3.1. 3.1. Oh, it was 3.3 to Robinson. Yeah, yeah. so it was 3.3 to Robinson, 3.1 on the day to the entire team. Uh, you know, they gave up one play of over nine yards, I believe, on the ground, and that was that 11 yard that we just talked about. They, uh, you know, at the end of the day. Like from an efficiency standpoint, that's what you're looking for. From a vi- four teams gave up 200 plus uh, on the ground uh, on Sunday. Teams are running, the, finding more success running the football. It's a matter of what are you willing to live with as a defense. And I think the way that they played against the run on Sunday, there were so many plays where I, I ended up just writing down. Yeah, that's a that's a well fit run play. The defense did its job. It was blocked for three. They got three. Go on, play the next play. Hey, it's second and six. It's third and five. Now it's time to get off the field. And not, they just were not able to make that stop often enough in this game. Yeah. So, look, now they're going against Jonathan Taylor and different beast. I would say that's the thing. You're exactly right. The talent. Because now, you know, I think because Damian Pierce, he's that guy, right? He can create yards for himself. Brian Robinson at this point, still, you know, coming back off Mm -hmm. his injury, uh, not to the point where he's creating a ton of yards for himself. The Eagles now are going to get tested here. Jonathan Taylor, you've got Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, you've got Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley twice on the horizon. Yep. Like That's where like th- those kind of things will have to get buttoned up, no, no doubt. So Taylor, you know, week one went over 100 yards, yep. kind of quiet. Injuries, yep. Yep. Well, they got him on track this week. 147 yeah. yards and a touchdown. I think it was a 66-yarder. 66 66 yep. Yard touchdown. And now the Eagles are without Jordan Davis already. 
Marlon Tuipoloto yep, was on injured reserve. injured reserve as well. So another loss there in the middle of that defensive line. Well, so real quick, so what does that mean now? So uh, so Tuipoloto, he was the nose tackle Primary most nose. most often uh, when they went into those five-man fronts. My guess is, is that uh, if... Marvin Wilson does not get called up for this game. That would be Javon Hargrave uh, that gets most of those reps. We'll see if they did, if they decide. I don't know why Marvin Wilson wasn't brought up. I don't know if it was injury injury related or not. Um, but if Marvin does get called up, I think he'll do exactly what he did against Houston. He gets inserted in, and he would be the nose tackle until Jordan Davis gets back. Do you go to more of a four? Man base. That's the other thing too. Is you maybe maybe you do more of that, but that does determine what you then do from a coverage standpoint. If you're right. going to go with one less guy on the line of scrimmage, then that means that you have to imp- that impacts what you're going to do from a coverage angle. And so um, that's the, that's kind of what you're weighing there uh, if you're going to do that. And the Colts, they're not trying to stretch the field. It's a lot of let's get the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands quickly. Yep. It's a younger offensive line. They have the rookie Bernard Raymond. On, on the left tackle spot, second-year man Will Parks, or Will Fries. Will Fries, yeah. Will Fries, I'm sorry. Will Fries is over at the right guard. He's kind of solidified himself there. Got after it in the run game this past week. Yeah, so it seems like that they're finding something there. Um, they've got weapons on the, on the perimeter. That's the one thing for the Eagles to contend with here. But who is someone that saw this scheme each and every day in practice when he was a secondary coach? Yep. Jonathan Gannon. And you might say, okay, well, what about Matt Ryan? Well, who did John Gannon make his defensive coordinator debut against last season? Hmm. Matt Ryan in Atlanta, and Matt Ryan threw for 164 yards and averaged 4.7 yards per attempt. Yep. So there is some success. Obviously, different team, different scheme, all that stuff. But nonetheless here, John Gannon, you know he's going to want to show up. Yeah. against his former team. Yeah, and obviously, uh, you know, the Eagles have plenty of those Colts uh, tie-ins uh, with this coaching staff. Of People that are very familiar with the personnel on that side. So, um, yeah, it's going to make for a, for a big matchup here uh, on Sunday. Obviously, the Eagles hoping to get a win. I made a point uh, also on the post-game show. Said no one is more, no one is as upset as the Eagles with this loss, right, against Washington. The the group of people that are probably just behind them. The Colts, because you don't want to see the Eagles after this loss. Uh, now you know you, now you have uh, an inspired team coming into your house at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll see if the Eagles can follow through uh, to your first point. How do they respond to this first loss, C-Mac? We will talk through it uh, next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, so good stuff there from CMAC. And uh, literally in transition doing this, uh, doing this segment, we've gotten news now uh, that the Eagles are signing veteran nose tackle Linval Joseph. So, so uh, continuing the conversation, Ben, as we welcome in Ben Fennel, about the replacement for Marlon Tui Pelotu. Uh, we talked about, okay, is it going to be Hargrave inside? Could they uh, pull up Marvin Wilson from the practice squad? Well, the Eagles get some veteran uh, insurance there with Linval Joseph, who is, uh, I mean, Matt Linval, uh, literally the nickname, he kind of helps in that role. Yeah, great veteran presence that's uh, lived you know on either side of the center through most of his career as a one shade nose tech uh, it's going to be a great run plugger on early downs and uh, alleviate some of the pressure to the rest of the defensive line group where you, ha- you have guys you know Tui Pelota slid inside Hargrave was playing some more one shade everyone kind of contributing on those early down fronts particularly the heavy run fronts that Jordan Davis was a part of um, but you know Marvin Wilson played early in that Houston game and got a little dinged up so yep. 
I think they had a, a role designed for him as well. But I think adding a guy like Linval just makes the, the Coxes and the Hargrave roles that much more advantageous that they could go back to their pre-existing uh, you know, responsibilities. Well, and let's talk through it because well, this week on Eagles Game Plan, the first conversation we have is the Eagles defense talking about you know, the matchup here against the Colts. And obviously so much talk about the run defense. C-Mac and I talked about it in the last segment. But to me, the, the bigger issue was the third down defense. You and I discussed it as we were watching the film on Tuesday, and we kind of tried to hammer that point home with Mike and with Ike on Eagles Game Plan. And, um, you know, if you can't get off the field on third down, you're giving the the opponent more chances to be able to chip away at you from a yardage standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. There was just a lot of plays that couldn't get off the field. And I think that's really the, you know, the the game changing type of play and drives on whether you're going to sustain the drive or get off the field of the drive. That's not first down or second down. That is third down. Now, there was a lot of them. So, of course, there's some third and shorts that were easier, but plenty of third and mediums, third and longs that the Eagles were in advantageous situations to play coverage or dial up some pressure. And for whatever reason, obviously a multitude of reasons, spin the wheel, whether it's missed tackles or maybe a coverage bust or, you know, maybe just a perfect route concept against the coverage, which yep. we saw too. Yep. Um, where Plenty. Yeah. You know, we're playing a robber role, trying to get a safety to the middle of the field, take away inbreakers, and Terry McLaurin runs an outbreaker. Yep. That's a perfect route concept against the coverage. You know, so some of those plays, you just have to tip your cap to the offense. Um, but certainly not getting off the field on third down was the the focal point. One of those early ones, I believe it was on, it was on the second drive of the game, it was a Terry McLaurin like deep over route against cover four. The the Colts, it was a really nifty, or the, uh, the, the commanders, it was a really nifty route concept where they took two, uh, two routes and they put them right at the linebacker and had them going to the sideline. So taking the eyes of those underneath defenders, and then you had, uh, then you had McLaurin running away from Darius Slay going across the field wide open into the void. And again, it's just one of those kind of lift and replace kind of route concepts to attack the intermediate area of the field. And it was a good zone beater that got the Eagles. So there were examples of them attacking man, attacking zone. Um, but at the end of the day, like, got to find ways to be able to get off the field. And Heineke hung in under pressure or Hargrave was beating guys and it was right down his face and, you know, hung in and made throws. And I think the last thing before we put this game to bed and turn it to the Colts game, that's a good football team. That was a team that was on a three-game winning streak, nearly knocked off the Vikings or 8-1, yep. and one, you know, and just beat the Bills, and then just knocked off the, the undefeated Eagles. You know, Heineke is a guy that's going to hang in there and play tough. They know who they are on both sides of the football. That's a competitive football team. And I know the commanders and some of the off-field stuff, and, you know, they haven't been a success, successful team over the last 10, 20 years. They play you really tough. Mm. And I think on Monday night, on the national stage, on the road, I'm glad the national audience kind of saw that against a really good team here in Philadelphia. Well, this uh, run defense will get a big test with Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. And, uh, you know, he had that 66-yard touchdown against the Raiders. We had Greg Cosell break that play down. But uh, they it's not even just about the big play. They leaned heavily into the run game. And I think that that's going to be the formula for them uh, on Sunday is they're going to want to continue to try and mash Jonathan Taylor and get them going on the ground. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be the recipe uh, for a couple of these teams facing the Eagles. Ball control, keep the ball out of Hurts in the offense's hands, try to sustain drives, run the football. And, you know, have efficient plays on third down. And I think the Colts are going to look at that commander's tape on Monday night and say, 
yeah, let's run that back. You know, yep. run the ball heavily on early downs and hopefully getting some advantageous third and shorts, third and mediums uh, for Matt Ryan to pick apart defenses. Yeah, they, they really leaned heavily into two separate run concepts that were really prevalent in this game against the Raiders. Split zone, which is what the touchdown came off of, and then also duo, which is a straight downhill run. And Jonathan Taylor, he is a pure like gap scheme runner, in my opinion. I don't think he's like one of these, uh, you know, read it all out and kind of pick his way through. He is get him shot out of a cannon downhill as fast as possible because he's got elite speed for a guy that big so if you're able to get him downhill on a fast track he's very he erases angles fast he's very tough to bring down yeah in any moment he can sneak through there and break off what looks like a four or five yard run and it's a 66 yard touchdown yep like he did last week against the Raiders but this is another team that they have an identity they know who they are this is not a team that's going to be dropping back 40 times they want to run the ball help out this young kind of patchwork offensive line that's trying to find their way and keep Matty Ice uh, you know upright which through most of the front half of the season has not gone to plan so I think their formula right now is run, run, run. Let's protect Matt Ryan. And you saw that on Sunday with a great uh, road win, I believe, against the Raiders. Yeah, well, transitioning over to the uh, the other side of the football, obviously the loss of Dallas Goddard. C-Mac and I hit it uh, in the last segment, but that, that is a big loss for this team. Huge. I know Dallas, yeah. one, of, one of your favorite players on this Eagles offense because uh, of what he can do in both phases of the game. Well, he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL, and you just don't replace elite players. Um, so it's going to take, uh, you know, several... Um, you know, chips to throw into the ante there from the coaching staff, from other players. Um, you know, it's going to take a, a you know a collective to kind of replace what Dallas Goddard brings, and that's why we talk so infatuatedly, you know, about him on a week to week basis. He does so much for this team. He's a really good player, and uh, hope he gets himself healthy. Well, talking about this Colts defense, where which the Eagles offense will face this week, you and I, we went back and forth with Greg, with Greg Cosell, talking about what are we going to break down with this team? Because, you know, it's funny, when you watch all their sacks, and I, I mentioned this stat uh, when I was talking about it with Greg earlier this week, you know, a lot of their sacks and a lot of their big plays have come where they've blitzed, where they've stunted. Where, but that's not that's not their identity. They, they, they're like down at the bottom of the list in blitzing and in stunting. And so while those are creative individual plays, I almost felt like it was disingenuous to go that way. And so that's why we leaned heavily uh, more more so into, hey, you know what, this is a single high team. This is their identity, and they are one of the better run defense teams in the NFL. Rodney McLeod often used down close to the line of scrimmage. So just kind of showing how they might want to try and play the Eagles, I think that was more important here for this matchup. And it's going to be a big factor here on Sunday. Yeah, and Gus Bradley, don't forget, coming from the Las Vegas Raiders last year, we faced that team in that defense. It's another defense you know exactly what you're getting. Yep. Single high team, led the NFL in cover three last year. They're top five this year. Um, top five in single high, you know, safeties. Routinely one of the deeper safety alignments in that single high scheme where they like him at 20, 25 yards. He's going to be way back there and playing a heavy box trying to, you know, uh, prevent the big plays with the center fielder. But it's a scheme. You know what you're getting. And, uh, you know, I feel like they don't want to ever hurt themselves in that Colts defense, whether it's Everfluss or this, you know, zone scheme from Gus Bradley. Yep. We're not going to make the mistake. We're going to play pretty vanilla. We're going to play safe and force you to take the underneath throws and be patient and keep it in front of us. And, uh, you know, I think this Colts defense hasn't gotten the the love they need to. Obviously, they've had some injuries and the offense has had a lot of dysfunction, whether it's the old line or Taylor's injuries, X, Y, and Z. But this defense is not going to hurt themselves. Yeah, and that's the thing is that when they made the change from Eberflus, who took the head coaching job with the Bears, to Bradley, I think that, yeah, like structurally, very different, right? I mean, Eberflus came from, uh, you know, the, uh, more of a too high shell uh, history in terms of his, uh, his uh, history with the Dallas Cowboys yep. and working uh, with coaches from that staff. Uh, now going to one of the more single high teams in the league, but w philosophically, 
very, very similar in terms of, hey, we're, we're not going to be a big blitz operation. We're going to run to the football. We're going to play with violence. It's an execution defense. Uh, we're going to try and create turnovers. That's the big thing is that they haven't created enough big plays, negative plays, uh, that defense yet, but it's a, a sound group uh, at, really at all three levels. Yeah, and one of my favorite players and for underrated players and unsung heroes in this league, Grover Stewart. Big number 90 up front, yeah. one of the fastest defensive tackles off the ball. I think it's going to be a really fun battle with him and Kelsey this week because they're so exceptionally quick. Grover Stewart's not a guy you can reach. He needs You need help with guards and things like that on the center. So I want to see what type of schemes they have involved to handle a very fleet of foot defensive tackle. And then a guy like Buckner, who's 6'6", and just has a really long torso, loves the arm over moves, loves to get in the backfields, and then some of the young, young edge rushers like Quiddy Pay uh, and such. Yeah, and one thing that you've always tried to hammer home this year is how good the Eagles have been at being able to handle that extra defender in the box. Yep. So if they're going to play a lot of single high, Rodney McLeod rolled down, the Eagles have been very good at handling that extra mm-hmm. defender, and that's something we wanted to present in this show. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the low-hanging fruit for fans. You know, a team runs the ball well. Well, what happens when teams start playing against the run? I have news for you. Everyone's been trying to stop the Eagles' run game all season with extra hats in the box. But just because you're outnumbered doesn't mean you can't run the ball. There's some things you can do schematically. Obviously, you can leave the backside unblocked and just dedicate your resources to the front side. Hopefully, you outrun that backside defender. But you can hold backside defenders and hold outnumbered or uh, extra players in the box, whether that's the option football, which a lot of the quarterback run brings balance to the run game and brings balance back to the box count, accounting for that running back, or excuse me, accounting for the running quarterback aspect. And then, um, you know, adding motion and Mm. other schematic elements to hold those backside defenders or to widen defenders in the box as well, which we saw throughout the season. I think it was that Jacksonville game that was really impressive where you saw a lot of jets, a lot of orbit motion. They had an extra hat in the box, and he just could not contribute because he was held with all that extra action. So schematically, you can do a lot of things if you're outnumbered. We expect to see it this week. Uh, I'd say uh, it's something that will be a huge, huge talking point uh, through this week. Now, uh, let's go through some of the numbers uh, that you've pulled. I know you've pulled a ton getting ready because not only, uh, obviously, the Eagles are playing, but you've got the uh, uh, the CBS game uh, as well with Charles Davis. So, that, so you're on that crew. Uh, so you will be there at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, for me, I'm going to talk through uh, Matt Ryan under pressure. We've, we watched this Colts offense a little bit earlier this year preparing for the Jacksonville Jaguars game, and that defense got after this Colts offense. And Ryan really, really struggled in that game, particularly under pressure. And so uh, that was one of my notes I had already going in. And then just going through and looking at the numbers, he had seven picks this year under pressure. And from a volume standpoint, that is worst in the NFL, despite him missing, what was it, two, three starts. Yep. Uh, still the most in the NFL by, uh, I, think pretty th- I think, a pretty significant margin. I think the second-place quarterback had four. And so uh, a notable number there, Matt Ryan against pressure. He has not played particularly well under pressure. In fact, his quarterback rating is 35th out of 39 qualifying quarterbacks. Mm. He has not looked good under pressure. Some his fault, some the offensive line's fault some of the skew and balance with Jonathan Taylor out of the lineup. It's also the third fastest time to sack in the NFL. So he was not getting help from his offensive line. The pressure was on him in a hurry. But Fran, let's look at Sunday where Matt Ryan was the starter under Jeff Saturday in this proverbial new regime. 2.28 time to throw. Wow. This is fastest in five years. Yep. 2.28. He was not sitting back nope. there. They threw him the keys, said, Matt Ryan, you're starting. And he said... I'm getting this thing out. 
And it was a lot of quick game passing. I think it was two or three passes over it was two. 12 yeah. yards all yep. day. Both incomplete. Was just <laughs> thinking and dunking. And I know what Eagles fans are thinking. Oh, no. Here's the veteran quarterback coming to dink and dunk, dunk us, you know, in a thousand paper cuts like we saw last year. Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, some sure. of those veteran quarterbacks. So Matt Ryan's not going to hold on to this ball. He's going to get it out. So what the Eagles do schematically to boot that, very interested to see this Sunday, 1 o'clock. Yeah, I think you, you can expect that the, he's not going to be holding on to that football no. uh, in this game. 2.28 time to throw is lightning fast. That's catching shotgun snaps, making a read, and getting that thing out. No, they're not messing around from that standpoint. Uh, that in mind, what's a, a matchup that you think is most important for Eagles fans to be able to watch here when it comes to this football game? Well, I thought left tackle rookie Bernard Raymond looked pretty good last week for mm. the Colts. But there is a gauntlet of pass rushers here in Philadelphia from Robert Quinn and Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick uh, and company, and Josh Sweat. I thought had a beautiful sack on Monday night there against Charles Leno. So I think Bernard Raymond's going to have his hands full. Thought he did a good job last week against Chandler Jones. Hasn't had the best season, Chandler Jones, but he looked good. Pretty uneventful game. Hands are always tight, runs his feet. But I think he's going to have his hands full this week. So I want to see the rookie go through his ups and downs. He's going to have some flash plays. He's going to have some lump plays. Will the lump plays be impact plays for our defense? We'll see. Uh, for me, uh, how about a battle of the Badgers? Uh, TJ Edwards and Jonathan Taylor. Oh, uh, obviously a, a big one there with uh, the Eagles trying to keep Jonathan Taylor, one of the best backs in football, keep him corralled. That will be a big theme here uh, in this match. tells me so, they've, they've thudded in the hole in practice uh, a few times. And it's probably been talked about a little yeah. bit uh, <laughs> here in this game. Well, Ben, uh, we'll be breaking it down. Uh, we'll see exactly what the Eagles are able to do. You will be in attendance, so I'll uh, we'll see if we can get some, uh, some little tidbits from you here next week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. All right, so joining us this week here for Faux Focus, a guy I've been following for a couple years. He does an outstanding job covering the Colts. Uh, you can check him out on the Locked On Colts podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Hicks, too. Zach Hicks, welcome to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for some Faux Focus. Hey, thanks for having me back on, man. It's, uh, it's a blast to be back here. Absolutely. Well, uh, look, the, the first question, we'll start with this Colts offense. I'm going to ask you to put on your Parks Frazier hat. We talked about him a couple of segments ago uh, with C-Mac, and you may not be too familiar with this Parks Frazier hat, considering uh, that he has only been the OC now for one week calling plays. But what is the biggest strength for this offense going into the game on offense? What gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game on Sunday? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, this Colts offense all season has really struggled, uh, but we did see kind of you know, for lack of a better word, an offensive explosion this past week against the hapless uh, Las Vegas Raiders. And, you know, some of that was Parks Frazier just getting things very simplistic and, and making this scheme be as simple as possible. It's very Tom Moore, like, you know, back in the Peyton Manning days where it's a couple of concepts, but you're just doing a little bit of variations here and there. But honestly, the biggest strength with with this Colts team coming into this, and, and again, it might just be a one-week reaction because that's all we really have right now, uh, it might be the running game again. You know, yeah. the Colts might be back to being a rushing team. Uh, they were the best rushing team in all of football last season. They had Jonathan Taylor to, you know, near that offensive player of the year award. I mean, first team all pro. I mean, this was a running football team last year. And with, you know, some some issues up on the offensive line, some injuries at the running back position, they have not been able to run the ball very well this season. But last week, Jonathan Taylor came out and looked like Jonathan Taylor again. The, the new guy they put in at right guard, Will Fries, had a great game. Uh, Bernard Ryman at left tackle had a strong game. And then, the you know, the high-paid offensive linemen, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, they actually look like those top-paid guys. So 
you know, if we're going off of last week, and again, I know it came against a really bad Raiders team, the Colts' strength might be their running game again. Yeah, that was the thing for for me prepping for the week was that uh, when I started my Colts study about a week ago, I said, okay, well, all the stuff we've seen so far – I almost have to like kind of put it to the side, and I just want to see what, what are they going to look like Sunday and not necessarily judge it off a one-game sample, but I'm going to weigh what I see against the Raiders maybe a little bit more heavily. And certainly when you see the offensive approach, it was heavy on the run game and quick game passing. And so uh, I guess that would be my next question is, uh, with Matt Ryan back in there at quarterback, was how big of a surprise was that for you? Because it all signs seemed to point to early in the week when they did make the coaching change that they were going to stick with Sam Ellinger, and it wasn't until Sunday afternoon pregame that uh, it made this made it sound like number two was going to be back out there yeah it was interesting we we started getting a little bit of the the signs that they were eventually going to go back to Matt Ryan I think it was like on Friday's practice you know just Saturday said afterwards you know oh don't count Matt don't count Matt Ryan out you know we're moving him back up to the backup position and I know for me personally I didn't know that he was going to play this whole game but I was like you know he's he's going to be inserted here pretty soon uh you know you have an interim coach who's who's coaching for his job, basically. You know, this is a trial run for him. He's going to want to have his best quarterback out there. And, you know, it's the NFL. Even if you're a losing football team, these players want to win. They want to be successful, even if there is no chance of the playoffs or anything, because these guys are playing for contracts. And and their best chance of winning is Matt Ryan. And, and yeah, it was a little bit shocking for them to say, you know, on Monday, Sam Ellinger is our starter, to Sunday before the game, we're switching to Matt Ryan. But I'm sure that was a boost to the locker room, a boost to those pass catchers, a boost to the offensive line that – you know, the better quarterback is playing. And we saw it on Sunday. I mean, look, Sam Ellinger had a fine day against Washington a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was in for the ride of his life against the Patriots the next week. Uh, but Matt Ryan is the better quarterback at this point in their careers. And and that's nothing to say bad about Sam Ellinger. It's just Matt Ryan's been there, done this, and he was the best guy to start on Sunday. Yeah, I think it made sense just because of the inexperience from a, an offensive play calling standpoint, from a game planning standpoint. If you when you lose your offensive coordinator, you lose your head coach who was offensive focused. Uh, it's tough for a, a young quarterback with inexperience to go in and govern that entire situation. So leaning on Matt Ryan, I thought always made the most sense when, once they made the coaching change. But I, I was surprised uh, that that was the initial news that it was going to be Ellinger. But uh, with Matt Ryan back in. Heavy, heavy focus on quick game. It was a, a lot of stuff in the intermediate area or in the uh, in the quick game area within you know eight to ten yards. It was double slants. It was stick. It was uh, all the different like West Coast principle, like uh, day one install type of plays. It almost looked like a preseason offense. Like as you mentioned, a couple of core concepts leaning on the run game. Yeah, I, I think that's a testament to the Raiders' defense. And I'm not here to come on your show and be like, oh, the Raiders suck, but. Man, I don't know what their defensive game plan was or their decision making was there because it really was the Colts were doing the same thing over and over again. It was it was like you said, the sticks, it was spacing, it was, you know, a couple like a preseason offense and the way that their passing game was drawn up, but they were kind of just counting on their guys being better than the Raiders guys. You know, if the Raiders lined up in press, they were hoping that Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris Campbell could beat that press coverage. If, if they lined up in off coverage, well, great, we're gonna throw it underneath anyway. That's that's the whole thing. So uh, it really was a very simplistic game plan, but sometimes in the NFL, you know, I've talked to players where they kind of like simple. Simple is better. Simple makes you able to kind of move at a different speed. It makes you confident in what you're doing because there's no, there's not much thinking. It's just go, go, go. Uh, so maybe that's what this offense needed because this is the, you know, the second best game they've they've played this whole, whole entire year. And that is the philosophy on defense as well. Gus Bradley, hey, you know what? We're going to rely on our four-man rush. We're going to play uh, the same kind of coverages over and over. We're going to be a heavy cover three, mostly single high kind of operation on the back end. Um, so putting your Gus Bradley hat on, what is the biggest strength on defense? What gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game if you are Gus Bradley? 
Yeah, you know, the, the strength of this Colts defense is really that middle. You know, it's that that those two defensive tackles, you know, arguably the best one tech nose tackle in the league and Grover Stewart. And then right next to him, you know, one of the best three tech pass rushers in all of football and DeForest Buckner, but also right behind them, you know, Bobby O'Carrake is having an outstanding year at linebacker. You got Zaire Franklin having a career best year. And then EJ Speed has been an outstanding run defender as well. And, you know, when you have a team like the Eagles that they're going to be playing this week where the Eagles love to be so diverse in their running game, they love to spread you out and just attack you in so many ways in that running game. You want to have these high flying linebackers behind your two studs on the interior. And I think that's where the Colts have really been forcing teams into second and third and long is because you have Grover Stewart, you have DeForest Buckner, and then you have the guys behind them that are getting these, these first down plays for like very short gains or, or, you know, getting off the field really quick. Uh, So you're forcing these third and longs, which that defense can just sit back in that cover three and, and just trust their technique. But yeah, you know, the strength of this defense, it really is right there in that middle Grover Stewart, uh, DeForest Buckner, and then those high-flying linebackers right behind them. Yeah, and you factor in even like a Kenny Moore uh, and how often he's right. playing close to the spine of the defense, one of the better nickel corners uh, in the NFL. I want to ask you about a couple players uh, on that side of the football. Quiddy Pay, former first-round pick out of Michigan. Uh, I know the, the sack production has been there. He's gotten to the quarterback a handful of times so far this year. What are your, what are your thoughts uh, on what you've seen so far from Quiddy Pay? Oh, he's really taken that step this season. It's unfortunate that he's had, you know, this kind of ankle injury that he's dealt with since that Broncos game a couple weeks back. Uh, He did come back against the Patriots and had arguably his best game of the entire year. And then he left early this past week with with that same ankle injury. So we don't know what his status is going to be like against the Eagles this week, but you know, just looking at his game from a macro level, uh, he's been phenomenal. He's been everything they could hope for from a second-year pass rusher. Uh, he's been dominant on stunts and twists. But then he's also improved every single game in his, in his pure pass rushing uh, snaps. So, you know, for a second-year player, a guy who's so strong in the run game and just getting better as a pass rusher, that's everything you could ask for. I, I kind of wanted to ask you about him because, um, you know, when you have him and Yannick Ngakwe, Yannick is, is established in, this, in the league. Everyone kind of knows what Yannick Ngakwe is. And, and I think when you look at the way the Colts have been built over the years and you say, okay, well, where are the areas where they've been strong? Where are the areas where they've always kind of felt they need to fill every offseason? And uh, certainly quarterback, obviously that's been a, a topic yeah. of discussion, but uh, corner, edge, and offensive tackle have been those other positions. So I did want to ask you about the cornerback spot. Stefan Gilmore in there in his first year there in Indianapolis. They've been kind of cycling through a couple different uh, younger veterans there, Isaiah Rogers, Brandon Faison on the opposite side. What are your thoughts on the cornerback picture so far for this for this team and, and how much of it uh, is applicable and sustainable for the future down the road? Do you feel like corner is an area where they'll look to address this offseason or do you think they're happy with what they've gotten so far? Yeah, you know, I still think there is uh, room to address the depth there because, you know, this is a passing league and you want to have more than just three or four corners. You want to have a bunch of corners. You want to have guys that, you know, if an injury happens, you feel comfortable with the guys behind them. But I do think right now, I mean, their starters going forward, it seems like is going to be Stephon Gilmore, who has been Stephon Gilmore of old. You know, he's been that lockdown guy. Uh, three three of the Colts' four wins this year have come with Stephon Gilmore making a last-second play or a play mm. at the very end of the game to to break up a pass or get an interception to, to really change the course of the game. Uh, he's been that impact player on the outside. Kenny Moore – is not having his greatest season in the slot, but it's still, you know, he's still a really good slot corner, so you can't really discount him. Uh, but the other guys, Isaiah Rogers, senior man, he has been phenomenal this season. Uh, he's a guy where teams are really not testing him. He's been targeted only 10 times in 165 pass coverage snaps this year. And in those 10 times that he's been, you know, targeted, he has two pass breakups that both came this past week. And it looks like the Colts are finally going to be starting him. You know, we get to these situations with a lot of the young players where, 
coaches keep them on the bench for some reason. They'll have a guy like Brandon Face on playing over him uh, for the first couple of weeks, and then it kind of drifts a little bit into the season. But Isaiah Rogers, he's a confident young player, and uh, he's a playmaker. And I know he doesn't have a pick yet this year, but we saw that playmaking last year, and then every time he's been on the field this season, he's been a big-time player for the Colts. So I really think he's an ascending young star to go with, you know, a very stable veteran and Stephon Gilmore and, you know, Kenny Moore, again, even in a down year, he's still a really solid slot corner. Yeah. Coaches like to say that turnovers happen in bunches and, and that has not happened yet for the Colts, which makes you a little bit worried uh, because at some point that could happen, that that bunch of those bunches uh, could begin. Only four picks uh, so far for that Colts secondary. Um, overall, if you're Jeff Saturday going into your second game of your coaching career, uh, what is the biggest concern for this team going into the matchup against the Eagles? I think the biggest thing is, is don't get stuck in that emotional high that was last week. You know, we, we see this every single time with interim coaches in any sport. You know, I, I've been saying this on our, on our podcast uh, all week is, you know, interim coaches in, in hockey, basketball, baseball, and football especially, they'll come out that first game and it'll be a great game. You'll be like, oh, why do we even fire the, the previous head coach? Because this team looks good again. And, and we saw, you know, with Steve Wilkes in Carolina, the way they beat uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, in a blowout victory. And then since then, it's kind of just been, you know, the same old Carolina Panthers. Don't get stuck in that emotional high of that first game uh, without Frank Reich and with the new head coach. Uh, really come out and execute the way they did this past week and kind of focus on the things that went well. Uh, because this is a talented football team. You know, that this is a team that before the season, people were projecting in the playoffs or winning that division. And things just went so awry early in the season. Uh, we kind of saw them be the Indianapolis Colts we expected this past week. And, and they just got to keep that level of play and not just get stuck in that, you know, that rah-rah interim coach thing that always happens. Don't get stuck in that little rut that we always see. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's when you get into the human element of things, and it's something that is absolutely real uh, when it comes to the impact an interim coach can have. Just giving you that little jolt uh, of energy, and especially when you're when you're putting Matt Ryan back in the lineup as well, that's another right. like added boost that uh, th- those guys certain, certainly feel in the locker room. Last question for you, Zach. Most pivotal matchup if you had to pick a one-on-one battle for Sunday that could help uh, determine the outcome of this game. You know, I think uh, the biggest one is, uh, you know, the the Eagles have such a a deep defensive line when it comes to pass rushing. And I feel pretty decent about the Colts offensive line, which it's famous last words. I know every time I feel good about this Colts offensive line this year, they they have a step back the next week. But my one concern is is rookie Bernard Ryman on that left side versus Robert Quinn or is, is Josh Sweat, did Josh Sweat go down with an injury or is he, he, he came back? He came back in the game. Uh, we haven't seen as of this recording, haven't seen an injury report yet for this year. So I don't know what the status will be, um, but he did come back into the game. Okay. Yeah. So there's another one right there. Josh Sweat, Robert Quinn, you know, if they put Hassan Reddick on that side, uh, these are guys who are experienced pass rushers with a lot of success in the NFL and, and Bernard Ryman, I think he has shown some good things this year, but I'm still really concerned about his anchoring ability and his ability yep. against these top pass rushers. And I think guys like Robert Quinn uh, and Josh Sweat will just have their way with him uh, if the Colts are trying to hit things downfield or if Matt Ryan is forced to come off his first read. So that's the biggest matchup for the success of the Colts in this game is how well does this rookie uh, left tackle and what his third career start, fourth career start do against some of the best pass rushers in football? Well, something to uh, to keep an eye on. Again, make sure you go follow Zach uh, on Twitter at Zach Hicks uh, two. You can check out his work over at the Locked On Colts podcast. You want to get behind enemy lines, get a sense of what uh, they're talking about in Indianapolis going into this game. Be sure to go download uh, the latest episode uh, wherever podcasts can be found. Zach, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we'll talk to you again soon. Of course, man. Anytime. 
Well, great stuff there from Zach Hicks once again. Now, before we close out the show, real quick, have a little bit of extra analysis here from John Clark and Mike Quick, Ike Reese, Greg Cosell from our Eagles game plan show. These are clips that got left on the cutting room floor, didn't have quite enough room to fit it into the 30-minute program. So I left some for you. Here's some analysis from our crew at Eagles game plan. With Matt Ryan as your quarterback, you're going to see the RPO game. You're going to see the quick game throws. The ball has to get of Matt Ryan's hands quickly. He can't stand in the pocket, sit on his back foot, and drive the ball down the field. So you want to get the ball into the hands of playmakers, whether it's Taylor in the pass game. Paris Campbell has become an important player in the pass game. Caught a touchdown a week ago on a short throw and a run after catch. That's what this offense is. So the key for the Eagles, you must get the Colts in third and long. That's where they will struggle. But if they can't stop Jonathan Taylor on early downs, could become a very, very interesting game. They have to be gap sound. You talk about the secondary guys, those linebackers, those safeties. When they come up, they have to make sure that they're fitting those gaps. You're playing against a guy in Jonathan Taylor. When you allow him to get to the second level, you allow him to get to where the field is open. He has that speed and that ability, as we saw last week against Las Vegas Raiders. He can take it to the house from anywhere on the field. They have to fill the gaps. They have to make sure that they're sound in their responsibilities. Yeah, the Colts had over 200 yards rushing in Vegas, and Matty Ice back in there as the starting quarterback. How is the quick passing game going to change the way the Eagles play a little bit? Can they, can they pack it in a little bit? Can they bring everybody up to the line of scrimmage? Well, what it does for you, first and foremost, is let's start with the defensive line. They have to be able to get their hands up. If you can't yeah. get to the quarterback, at least get your hands up. That's sort of how offenses will try to neutralize your pass rush is by getting the ball out quickly. Now, you're going to have to mix and match at times when you decide to whether you want to press coverage or play off coverage. That's going to be circumstantial depending on down and distance and where you're at. But I think the main thing is, as a D lineman, if you can't get there, at least get your your hands up so you can obstruct either windows that Matt Ryan wants to throw the ball to or you could possibly get a tip uh, on the ball that we know we've been able to take advantage of all tips and overthrows. And they have to tackle well. This is a football team that they're going to throw the quick pass, but from the secondary, you have to come up, you have to wrap up, not just hit these guys. Many times you see defenders, they just want to lay their shoulder in. You've got to hit and wrap up. But keep in mind, you pretty much know what you're going to get when you play a Gus Bradley defense. There's not a lot of mystery. You're going to get single high, but this is a very good defensive line, and that's something to be concerned about if you're the Eagles. This is a defensive line that at times this season has shown the ability to dominate. So this will be a challenge for the Eagles offense. While the Colts don't have a great record, they do have a defense that at times can stop you from doing what you want to do. So this will be a challenging game for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. When you look at this matchup, where can the Eagles win against the Colts? Well, you know that a Gus Bradley defense, they like to play a lot of cover one. They like to play a lot of cover three. So the wide receivers on the outside, I think it should be a day for those wide receivers. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I think these two guys playing against those corners, Isaiah, on the one side, and Stephon Gilmore, Isaiah Rogers, yeah. Stephon Gilmore on the other side. I think they can take advantage of those guys, especially Rogers. I think if you get him going inside, outside, stutter deep, I think you can take some shots against him. 
And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. It goes up digitally on Fridays, late in the day, uh, across all Eagles channels. Or if you live in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NBC10. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan guys, as always. Thanks to all of them, and thanks to all of you for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.